Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to another episode of the Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam. At the end of the week, on a Friday afternoon today, with myself, Raza, and Brother Daniel, over the next two hours, we will be with you, speaking about two topics as usual. In the first half of the program, we're going to speak about flashpoint conflicts that might be leading us into World War III. And then in the second half of the program, we're going to speak about anti-Semitism and how it is wrongfully being weaponized. You know what is happening in the world today. Um, And this is a topic that has been dominating the news that has been dominating social media. So we um, wanted to speak about these two very important topics because at the end of the day, it is on everybody's minds. It is dominating politics. It is dominating the news. It is dominating even our social interactions that we have within the groups of society. As always, you can have your say. We're more than happy to get you on if you feel strongly about one of these topics. So do give us a call on 0208-687-7878 or you can send us a tweet at Voice of Islam UK. You can also send us a comment on Instagram, uh, also Voice of Islam UK. On that, we're asking you the question about the first topic as well as the second topic kind of which global conflict worries you the most is it the israel-palestine conflict is it the ukraine-russia conflict is it china-taiwan or is it the us and iran relationships um all of this is on our instagram stories to so go to voice of Islam uk and leave us a comment as well as casting your vote brother daniel assalamualaikum to you wa alaikum assalam peace be with you <coughs> How have uh, you been? How's been your week? You've yeah. been busy attending press conferences. And, I, I and have, yeah. yes. <clears throat> so it's 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 been a very fruitful week, no doubt about that. Um, and uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we are here to inform. We are here to tell people about the peaceful teachings of Islam. And uh, all of this, uh, as I said, coming up in the next two hours. Right, so we're talking about uh, how dangerous uh, the world has become, and, and I think um, it's pertinent that we start by talking about what's uh, happening at the moment in the Middle East, which is the most dangerous uh, flashpoint uh, with serious dangers of escalation um, and contagion within the region and perhaps across the region as well. So just by way of uh, an update, um, as we always do on Friday, so... Uh, we all know about this uh, attack on the humanitarian aid, which um, aid convoy, which is obviously being disputed by Israel. 112 Palestinians were killed and 760 were wounded in that particular incident. According to the house, uh, the health ministry in Gaza, the deaths um, were from IDF soldiers firing into the crowd. The IDF called the event a tragedy and said the bulk of the fatalities were the result of a stampede in which Gazans were crushed to death, and that when troops felt threatened by the surging crowd, they opened fire at their legs. The IDF also said the Gazan aid truck drivers plowed into the crowd, so that's uh, the IDF version. Um, the health ministry in Gaza obviously contests that and says that uh, this was a blatant attack on the Palestinians hungry uh, for food. Um, Hamas has also warned in a statement that the incident could um, actually uh, delay negotiations for a ceasefire and a hostage release deal, calling the event a massacre. 
President um, uh, of Palestine, Mahmoud Abbas, said Gazan civilians were risking their lives for a crust of bread and that the deaths were an ugly massacre conducted by the Israeli occupation army, part of Israel's war of annihilation, he said. A U.S. Uh, National Security Council spokesperson called it a serious incident, which underscores the importance of expanding and sustaining the flow of humanitarian assistance into Gaza, including through a potential temporary ceasefire. Center for the American Progress CEO Patrick Gaspard said the U.S. must consider halting arms deliveries to Israel after the deadly event. Uh, after the incident, U.S. President Joe Biden said that while he remains hopeful of achieving a ceasefire hostage re- uh, as well as hostage release deal, reaching one by Monday, as he had estimated earlier, is now unlikely. The incident also occurred within hours of U.S. aid administrator Samantha Power's visit to Karen Shalom border crossing, where she implored Israel to increase the amount of aid and open additional crossings. The health ministry in Gaza said that over 30,000 Palestinians have now been killed and over 70,000 wounded since the war began. It added that the death toll includes about 8,000 women and 12,500 children. Over 50 international broadcast journalists, meanwhile, have signed an open letter to Egyptian and Israeli authorities to call for free and unfettered access to Gaza for all the foreign media. Mm. Um, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, said that war crimes had been committed by all parties in the conflict between Israel and Hamas, calling for them to be investigated and for those responsible to be held accountable. U.S. officials worry that Israel is spanning a ground incursion into Lebanon if diplomatic efforts fail to push Hezbollah from the border and uh, border with Israel. This, according to a CNN report. So those were the sort of, uh, you know, the headlines yeah. of the uh, the major events that uh, took place last week. There is one more thing that I wanted to address if um, if you have time for that. Sure. And, and that is about, uh, you know, we, we constantly... Um, told by the media that the figures that are coming out of Gaza mm-hmm. um, uh, cannot be taken seriously or, or, or needs to be taken with a, be, uh, with a pinch of salt. IDF certainly contests that. So um, so I was reading up um, uh, on that uh, a little bit. And uh, uh, this is uh, now according to the BBC. So the BBC has done some investigation of its own. And according to uh, the BBC, um, firstly, the World Health Organization um, says that it has a long-standing cooperation with the Gaza body, the health ministry there, and that it has good capacity in data collection analysis and that they find those figures trustworthy. Um, the other very important thing to understand here that for a Palestinian death to be registered in Gaza, according to the BBC, a corpse or remains must be seen by hospital staff or medical workers. So at the end of each day, hospitals send lists of casualties, including very known names, identity numbers, dates of injury or death, and details of injuries and conditions to a centralized Ministry of Health system. So, you know, with all of these details. Um, and these operations are, are based in Rafa. Uh, the uh, so it's, uh, you know, they have a pretty uh, decent system of how they actually 
record this and and therefore it it is actually widely felt within the international aid organization community that the number of deaths that actually have been reported because of the system that is being used by the Ministry of Health in Gaza, which is that they need to see a corpse or they need to see uh, an injured person to be able to register those uh, those names and numbers, will actually be a lot lower than what it is actually out there. That is the number of people who have actually died or injured because they're not able to come to a hospital. And the number of hospitals, as we know, mm. has also come down tremendously. I think only a quarter of the hospitals are now functioning in, in, in Gaza. So if they've not been able to, uh, to visit a hospital, if they have been buried under rubble, those numbers and, and many would would be in, included. I think it will be very safe to, uh, to assume that. Uh, so these numbers are actually understated as opposed to overstated. So and yet we still have this discussion <clears throat> where people challenge these numbers. I mean, you don't have to be on either side of, of a spectrum. You don't have to be either side of a party to realize that whatever the numbers are, if you even take it, uh, let's say 70% of, of those numbers, those num- it's too much. Yeah, And exactly. think about those who are affected by that. I mean, we, we've seen, I'm sure you've seen it on, on, on social media as well. Um, the, the, she's, I think, I think she, she's a Jewish journalist, Rachel, Rachel Shabby, Rachel Shab, Shabai. And she was talking about, um, I think it was Yalda Hakim on Sky News, um, about these numbers. And it's as simple as, as she said it. They've checked out in 2008. They've checked out in 2014. They've checked out in, mm. in the past. So why wouldn't mm. it, you know, be accepted now? But even the fact that you have this discussion, I think it's it's just it's it's sad. It's sad. It's shocking. It's it's just inhumane to have this discussion to talk about. Oh, the numbers are not correct. Well, forget the numbers. You've seen the videos. You've seen the footage coming out. And now, as you've said, international journalists calling out for exactly. unlimited access to Gaza, which they why, are being denied. Why exactly? Why has that? right uh, of media for information being denied by Israel. And so Israel is actually this stopping this ever, access. Has ever happened in the past that you had limited, restricted access? What, what, forget restricted. You had no access hmm. to, 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 these, the, to these areas. You had the war in Bosnia. You had Syria. You had Iraq. You had Iraq. So many conflicts in the past where journalists... Afghanistan. Afghanistan, exactly. Hmm. Where you didn't have these this restriction, this limitation, and imagine that would have happened in, in, in those conflicts. Mm. The outcry would have been tremendous. It would have been huge. But here, for some reason, unfortunately, it's not the case. In the Holy Quran, God Almighty states, corruption has appeared on land and sea because of what men's hands have wrought, that he may make them taste the fruit of some of their doings, so that they may turn back from evil. A lot of people are saying, and again, this is based on uh, some of the social media footage that I've seen, that people wake up in the morning, they hear so many people have been killed. I mean, this this uh, this aid truck or this the situation about around that aid truck that you've mentioned at the beginning, it's labeled as flower massacre. Mm. I mean, just the fact that it's labeled as flower massacre, where people, men, fathers, brothers were in line, and this is not just in the middle of the day when they wake up and, and, and everything is fine. No, this is 4, 4.30 in the morning. And God knows how long they had been standing in that line waiting for those aid trucks. People 
trying to provide for their family. The basic, the very, they, very they're eating basic. animal food in the north. They're yeah. eating animal food because they grass. Have nothing. They're eating yeah. grass. Yeah. And and even that, if you look at the pictures, the devastation is so tremendous. Where do you find grass? Mm. Not even that is available. Animal fodder you're talking about. I was uh, researching and looking into what that actually does to your human body. It is not sustainable. It is not. You will die because of that based on uh, diarrhea, based on. And and they are. And this is exactly what's happening. I mean, you're talking about the press conference. We we went to a press conference on Monday, a press briefing held by um, Dr. Sam Zamla, the Palestinian ambassador to the UK. And I will tell you the numbers that he presented. This is coming from the Palestinian authorities, the numbers that he's been mentioning, the the diseases that are spreading. And look, maybe for an, a grown adult, you might have the immune system to 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 fend off some of some of those diseases. But we're talking about newborns. We're talking about babies in incubators who simply do not have any formula available. Forget about milk. There's no formula available. And if there's no formula available, even the mothers cannot provide that milk because they are malnutritioned. Mm. They're mal- malnourished. And what happens to those? You are witnessing parents seeing their newborn children die in front of their eyes, in their arms. They're seeing all sorts of children die in front of their eyes. They're seeing newborns who were born one year ago, born yeah. five years ago, born ten years ago. Uh, I mean, it is... An, and to a, have this this mindset of not being able to condemn that attack... Mm. I, I again I was watching a video of I believe it was it was that the, the press press briefing in in the White House Matt I don't know what his name is he was unable to say the words condemn mm. when pressed by by one of the journalists unable you cannot condemn an act like that what kind of human being does that exactly and and yet you are required day in day out to condemn what Hamas did for five months. Absolutely, you 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 have to uh, uh, you know you to start a conversation on on the Western media to it. be even given the right to be able to speak utter another word. You first must condemn the attack that uh, the Hamas attack of October seventh, and and only after that would you be allowed to utter. Um, another word. So, and and also this apathy that we see generally on the on the Western media. So, I mean, we all saw that the first day of the deliberations or in the ICJ, mm. when South Africa brought this case um, uh, of of genocide, which we now uh, as plausible genocide, as the court has has announced um, in its interim um, um, judgment. Um, there was actually in, in there was zero coverage on on the entire mainstream media yeah. here in the UK yeah. when a case was presented as to what is it that Israel actually has been doing and only when on the second day Israel was presenting its case that you know they were entire thing yeah there was um, a coverage of that and you know even today I was just thinking about it uh, you look at the mainstream media again including BBC. And what you have there is the death of uh, Mr. Navalny, which tragic as it is, mm. I don't know how many people in the UK actually 
um, care about the death of one person hmm. uh, as opposed to that the death and destruction and massacre of thousands that is taking place elsewhere, especially in the Middle East at the moment. And yet there is no mention of that or there's very little mention of that or there's in passing mention of that. And there's live coverage of this uh, this funeral yeah. which is which is yeah. taking place which we understand is, is is a foreign policy issue here in with the UK government but you know it speaks of the unfairness of um, the coverage in uh, blatant unfairness of the coverage of the media and it is reflected in the views and the sentiments that people have not just across this country but I'll tell you from speaking to my friends and colleagues and family members from across the globe, this is from New Zealand all the way to Canada. It is appalling. The the lack of trust and this blatant disregard for human life by those who are supposed to uphold values of human rights. Mm. I mean, isn't that what we grew up with? This is what has been you know the 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 one thing that well, there's a lot of value for human right if you're white i, I think no, that, not that's, that's... not if you are bame if you if you're black or if you are um arab mm -hmm. then sorry uh, very little human rights and, 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 and that's what's showing that's what's obvious we're, now we're going to speak to about, about this in the second half of the program as well i'll tell you one thing i, I didn't mention it on the voice of Islam, uh, but a couple of weeks ago when this was, when when we're, you know, we're in the middle of this, it's been ongoing for five months now, believe it or not. But I think it was at the start of the second month where we started hearing this Arab versus Jews, this Muslim versus Jews. At that mo moment, I thought about it that th this brings me, or this takes me back to, to again, to 9-11. Mm. We're talking about 23 years ago where we went through the same cycle of of labeling people, of justifying um, or, or brandishing a whole religion. We're talking about almost two billion people, two billion, and in this country, millions and millions of people that adhere to a faith which the name of that faith is peace. Mm. It's the name of that faith. It's called peace, Islam. It's called peace. And they live their lives in peace. And they live their lives. They pay their taxes. They, they make sure their children are a productive, moral, uh, helpful member of this society. Day in, day out. They work hard. I mean, you, me, everyone working here at the Voice of Islam, everybody working behind the scenes in Voice of Islam, the mothers, the fathers, the brothers and the sisters, we are living proof of that. Mm. But what gets highlighted? Mm. Those who hijack that faith, those who hijack that religion um, are labeled as Islamists and that dominates the news. And you have high-ranking politicians that come up with this nonsense garbage of, of, of saying that a mayor of this, of this city is controlled by, by, by Islamists. And, and, that that's, is, that, and that, that's not Islamophobic. That, that's not Islamophobic, <laughs> of course not. I mean, that's just wrong. Yeah. For, for anyone listening out there, I, I think yeah. I, can, I can be a spokesperson for, for anyone for that government who just says it's wrong. I mean, the, the interviews were just, it was just cringe. I think that's a word that people use these days. It would yeah. just cringe to watch those interviews when they are unable to say it was Islamophobic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely terrible, especially if you look at it in the context of 
what is considered to be anti-Semitic on the other hand. So, so on the other hand, so according to the Communities Security Trust, and I think again we will be talking more about this in the sure. second hour. So, according to CST, uh, if anybody says "Free Palestine" uh, in an aggressive manner to a Jew, that is anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. And on on the other hand, we are saying that. Um, uh, that uh, the London mayor's office has been taken over by Islamists is not Islamophobic. I, 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 you know, I dare say what would be the reaction of people if the statement was actually that the London mayor's office has been taken uh, over by Jews. Hmm. I wonder if the reaction would have been same and the reaction would be as limited to just saying that it's wrong. And, and would not, have by-elections in, in and, London and, uh, within 24 and hours. And I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I, I certainly believe that that would be a very anti-Semitic remark. And I therefore also believe that these current remarks are very, very Islamophobic. But it just, uh, you know, double standards, unfortunately. Um, uh, yeah, a very sad situation. His Holiness, I think. Yeah, you wanted to say something. Else? No, no, please go ahead. Yeah, I think what what summarizes the the situation of governments. Look, I think people, on one hand, I I have faith. I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of faith. I'm very optimistic that people are coming to their senses. I mean, it's been five months into this and people were forced to research. They were forced to look into this because... No, we were seeing that, sorry. We were seeing yeah, that in Rochdale. Yeah, exactly. We were seeing that in Rochdale yesterday yeah. and uh, George Gallo said that this is for Gaza. Yeah. That was his uh, his opening remark. So I think our politicians must, um, must listen to the voice of people and must see this trend which is changing and which is changing very fast that uh, you know people are not don't consider people to be dumb uh, people no. uh, people and and there you know if bbc doesn't uh, portray that enough or if if sky or if others don't there's so many other ways of getting information people are getting information people yeah. are interested in what's happening in gaza even if you put other things on tv and, and provide wall to wall coverage of all the other irrelevant uh, events people will get the information that they need and people are finding out, unfortunately, about what is happening there. And unless our politicians listen to what and and take heed to the this trend, which is very very fast changing, I'll give you an example. I I, I wrote um, to my local MP. I won't take the name mm-hmm. about what is um, uh, that we must call for an immediate ceasefire. That we must. Uh, uh, call for you know these hostilities, this war, this madness to stop in um, in Gaza, and uh, his response, you know, his I, and I sent him a very detailed email uh, with with a lot of links to all these uh, horrific um, uh, atrocities, but also all these horrific images of children dying as a result of um, uh, of hunger. And his response was that, uh, you know what, um, wh- whatever we do here is uh, in in the in the UK Parliament. Remember, it's not going to have much effect of what's actually happening in Gaza. And my response to him was, well, at least can you stand? Can you stand with just? I don't care what's happening. Well, I do care, but what I care also is about what my MP stands for and what what my Parliament re- represents, mm. the country that I live in, the country that I'm a citizen of. I would like my MP and my parliament to side for justice, irrespective of whatever uh, repercussions that may or may not have in, in uh, on the 
happenings or the events in Gaza. So, yeah, it, unfortunately, this is um, it's 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 quite a sad story. It is. So I wanted to ask you. Uh, you went to this uh, this press conference mm-hmm. by held by the Palestinian ambassador here to the UK. Uh, tell us your your thoughts and your impressions of uh, that event. Now, I'll I'll start off with I think the the human side. I saw the ambassador last year, March, for the first time. Right, so I I saw him. He actually attended one of the the programs here at uh, organized by the MD Muslim Community, and um, I saw him this week. On a human level, this has taken a huge toll on him. Yes, this was my percept- like this was my observation. Sure. I looked at him. I mean, his physique, the 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 eyes that the, the way he speaks the way he you know he was he was um walking and what what not i mean of course it takes a toll on you you have not just lost people from your country but he has had personal loss yes family members friends colleagues and people that he knew who are simply no more and so that does have have a toll on your on your physical sure. shape and your on your physical physique. Secondly, I mean the numbers that he then presented, it it feels to me. Look, you know when you're talking about, I'll, I'll, let, let me let me put it this way. I'm explaining to you. So we have this switchboard or this this. Uh, mixer in front of us or the screens in front of us i'm talking about oh this is broken this is broken this is broken look this this is not turning on and we have an issue with the mics and we have an issue with the audio and whatnot so that was 20 25 minutes he 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 gave the numbers he gave the stats he gave the situation on the ground and started off by saying that this is a genocide make no mistakes about it this is a genocide it's an ethnic cleansing of of a people and it's not just a statement backing up this, 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 this. And then it came to the press conference. It came to the question answer sessions. And it was the same repetitive things over and over again. Mm. Starting with Hamas. Starting with who's going to be at the top. Who will take responsibility. Uh, will you have a government. Irrelevant questions. And one person even asked... Um, about the protests happening in London, asking that these protests, which we have seen over the past five months now, have cost the British taxpayer eighteen million pounds. So people are uh, expressing their concerns about that, on how, what the toll on the on the UK taxpayer is uh, in regards to these protests. Eighteen million pounds. But how much aid? How much support? How much of weaponry are we sending to to Israel? Hmm. Not even ten, ta- yeah. not ten yeah. times, yeah. not twenty times, a lot more than that. So the audacity of people, this th- this shamelessness of people, of asking such questions, did shock me. But it, I'm, 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 I'll be very honest. At this point in, in, in time, it didn't surprise me. Nobody's really concerned about what happens. They they don't they don't they don't really care about solutions. It's just about getting their agenda across, getting their questions across, getting their opinions across, so that they do not lose listenerships or viewerships. 
that was you know, I think the, the the bottom line that I took away from it but again this this the situation that you have it is only going to get worse the bombing is one side even if the bombing stops today the rebuilding process then the people and the dead bodies that you will find under under the rubble yeah. um, the counting that mm. starts after that yeah. about you know facts and figures and the numbers mm. that is a whole different ball game yeah. and then you have the governments and you have the restrictions placed on a sovereign country which everybody has a problem with well, we cannot dictate any terms for a sovereign country but isn't that a sovereign country as well don't mm. they have the right to be a sovereign country don't they have the right to decide what happens within their 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 borders nobody has a problem with that mm. so the double standards of again it was mainstream media at that point it it, it was something that that really again showed me very very clearly that they they don't really care but who does care again for the past 5 months every single friday sermon mm-hmm. his holiness has been talking about this yes. on different occasions and he's not just been talking about this for these past 5 months again when we talk when we talk about this israel hamas war we talk about starting on October 7th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this episode started on October 7th. But you are this context this, to it. There's exactly. there, there's a history, there's background. Yeah. Like, And nobody wants to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about That it. That is no. irrelevant. For for even the like when you hear these interviews um and 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 even some it's, of the journalists that I was a fan actually. of personally. <laughs> Forget about irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. And and some of the journalists that I personally was a fan of before hmm. in the sense that okay, th- seems like a like like a, a good person, person like yeah. a decent person mm-hmm. like a just person like an honest person they completely lost the plot mm. and it again so dr zamzamlar he's been doing this day in day out there's not a single mainstream media outlet that he hasn't appeared on but he is bombarded from all sides that you have to come back to to the h word mm. and that's where the con- conversation starts mm. and how can that be i i simply again m- maybe we're n- i'm not from that from that environment i'm not from that group of 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 uh, uh, that profession uh, so i may not be able to understand but what i do understand is that that uh, as a human being you don't have to be a professional you don't have to be someone who went to university to understand this is right this is wrong this is an innate quality of of us as humans that god almighty has instilled in us when the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him said that when you are born it's like a blank sheet you know your moral compass your inner compass which god almighty has instilled in us knows that this is right and this is wrong if it if it knocks in your heart these are the words if it knocks in your heart and that is your inner self telling you that's wrong don't do it don't do it but we decide we whistle go ahead with it because different reasons peer pressure because of your personal gains because of uh um your personal interests because of money because of wealth because of greed and and all of these other things and that is something that the world has come to at the moment but again i'm coming back to the point that i was making before someone who 
does not budge to the standards and the values that the world mm-hmm. wants you to adhere to are yeah. people of God. Yeah. Are people who are who who are aware, who know for fact, for certain, that I will stand in front of my Lord one day and I will be held accountable. And if I don't speak up now, then God will ask me on the day of judgment. Mm. So His Holiness, as the Mizam Surah, the fifth successor to the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, who was sent for this very purpose to 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 make sure and to explain to the world there's a creator. There's one God, there's one Lord, there's one almighty being who controls everything. But then at the same time, to instill that love and the mutual compassion that we are supposed to have for each other. Mm. And his caliph, a hundred years later after his demise, more than a hundred years, he said that I have been warning of this for a long time, that governments should come to their senses. Governments, that's their job. But who is doing that duty of theirs to come to their senses? It's the people out there who come every weekend from far and from wide to stand in the cold, to stand in the rain, to to speak up for what's right. That is what the what what the British people are doing. And again, so at the press conference, uh, the ambassador he spoke very highly of the British public. Mm. He spoke so highly of the British public speaking up for what is right, mm. speaking about the British values. Yeah. Isn't that what we what, what we uphold and what we stand for? What we have stood for in the past as well. Mm. I think the other important thing that His Holiness actually has been highlighting over the past couple of decades is that. Um, if we don't pay heed to his words, if we don't strive for attaining peace in the world, if we continue to um, to egg on warmongering, then the fires that are being lit at various places around the world, Ukraine is one, um, Gaza is definitely another, will spread. And he's actually yeah. warned that those fires will not only spread across those regions, those fires will spread across the world. And he's actually, in one of the sermons, he warned um, the politicians in the in the Western world, in the developed world, and he said that, do not do not think for a second, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, this is uh, pretty much what he, uh, what he was, was saying, that do not think that these fires will not hit your capitals. Hmm. These fires will spread and these fires will hit your capitals as well. And therefore, it is time to stop these fires, not egg them on. And unfortunately, uh, while he's been talking about it over the last couple of decades, and, and, and God knows what he hasn't done. He's written to world leaders. He's written, he's written letters. He's gone to various international f- forums. He's mm. gone to the uh, uh, the U.S. Ha- uh, the U.S. Um, Capitol. Uh, the, the Capitol Hill. He's gone to the European Parliament. He's gone to Westminster. He's gone to other places, and he's talked about what he's talked about the 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 immediate need for peace in the world. Otherwise, he said. It in so many words that we are heading towards a third world war and the world must listen and heed these words. Um, otherwise, we will, because according to him, the world is now racing towards a third world war, racing towards a much bigger conflict. And it takes, you know, one major, another incident. You know, the fires have already been lit and, it, you know, it's just a matter of another flashpoint or um, another rogue actor doing something 
for these fires to start spreading across mm. the regions and then across the world. And in 2013, you mentioned Westminster. In 2013, actually, he addressed at the occasion of the, 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 the Jubilee celebrations of the MDMS community here in the UK. And he said that the world has become a global village and so a lack of mutual respect. That's all it takes, respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, respect. And a failure to join together to promote peace will not only harm the local area, city or country, but in fact will ultimately lead to the destruction of the entire world. We are all well aware of the horrific devastation caused by the last two world wars. Due to the acts of certain countries, the signs are that another world war is on the horizon. And he kept going on for the past 20 years, as I said. And specifically when it comes to today's day and age, the last five months, he expressed criticism towards the uh, Israeli government's approach in responding to the attacks carried out by Hamas. But he said that Israel's revenge, and he questioned the proportionality of Israel's revenge, highlighting that the reported loss of Palestinian lives is significantly higher than Israeli casualties. And he criticized their methods employed, such as targeting women, children, and the elderly, as well as disrupting essential services like water, sustenance, and medical care. And five months. Five months. It reminds me a little bit. I mean, this is no comparison at all, but I'm just you know, talking about the, the thought process. You know when Trump was in power? Mm-hmm. He did something, he said something one day, and he said, oh my God. This, this, it can't get any worse. Hmm. It didn't take twenty four hours. He came up with something even more ridiculous, <laughs> right? Yeah, you and, that. and so it was a roller coaster every single week. And I know I used to watch all of these, uh, you know, these comedic, uh, the late night talk shows and whatnot. They had so much material. They had so much material throughout the week. They didn't know what to choose and what not to choose. Hmm. This conflict, this war, is on the same level that you watch the news one day and you think, oh my goodness, they cut off water and electricity. Mm. Oh my God, how can you, how how can can you, you take that, that away from yeah, people? Exactly. Collective punishment. Collective punishment. And then the next time, oh, they've attacked a refugee camp. Mm. And then this, people in line to... <laughs> to get flour to make bread not not fancy fancy ingredients bread they want to make bread with it mm. and they've attacked and even that is being disputed and denied and twisted and turned why how long will you keep going with this and again i've said this i think a couple of weeks before we don't governments and and people at the top don't realize that people have information mm. they have access to information they have access to information and and news as they are happening on the ground yeah you see it's it's so unfair also that um, while all sorts of tough questions are put at palestinian representatives mm. and they are constantly put in the dock uh, about what happened in October on October seventh, what happened before, uh, nobody wants to talk to, talk about the context. Number one, and nobody even wants to talk tough to the the Western politicians. So I I you know only a um, couple of months ago um, at the conference in in Davos where world leaders uh, gathered, 
And a journalist, actually, an American journalist, asks um, uh, the U.S. Secretary of State that um, is one Palestinian life, um, uh, is one Israeli life equal to a Palestinian life or, or, or not? And his response, obviously, as you would expect, was that, um, of course, one Palestinian life is equal to one Israeli life. And, and you know, he, 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 the questioning just stopped there and they were clapping in the hall mm. as if he's, he's you know, he that this gentleman for saying something as obvious as that give him the peace should prize. give him the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> uh, as opposed to questioning further that, okay, so if it is the same, what are you doing about it? Mm. Are you going to stop supplying Israel the weapons? Are you uh, going to uh, stop vetoing resolutions in the United Nations Security Council? What are you actually going to do yeah, about it? Yeah, yeah. And and there was nothing of that sort. You know, everything stopped at that, and everybody was clapping and like you know that this is the the best thing that they've ever heard yeah. uh, in their lives. I mean, Spe- this is this is just ridiculous. Speaking about vetoes, for example, in the U- United Nations Security Council, Algeria, I think, put put forward a a, a um, what do you call it a motion that this this flower massacre should be con- con- condemned. Absolutely, it was vetoed by and, the U.S. again. And who get, guess who vetoed that? <laughs> uh, while fourteen other countries actually backed yeah, it. Yeah, fourteen out of fifteen. So U- U.S. is uh, is actually standing but out. But they uh, are showing concern. That's for sure. They're monitoring the situation. They're in direct talks, and they are ensuring that uh, their counterparts. Ensuring? Uh, yeah, I, I don't no, think they're no. ensuring. I don't think they... they uh, no, no, they're ensuring, ensuring that their counterparts get the message that they have they, about their concerns. If they act up on it or, or if they follow yeah. that, well, again, yeah. that's that's a sovereign country. They they don't have any influence on that. Obviously. I'm, I'm not sure. Like um, People still don't understand how, how but, simple But they do is. have a, a lot of influence on... Uh, the Palestinian administration in, of uh, in the West Bank, even yes, though that is yes, supposed yes. to be a sovereign no, government no, no. as well. How dare you uh, say because that? Because now they, uh, they've been asked to have a technocrat uh, government there. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to play some of uh, the questions that were asked to the ambassador. The first one that we want to play Shall we start here? with question number three? I think that was, uh, that was the most uh, uh, interesting there um, mm. as well. All right, so the question was, why aren't the Western countries as keen to help mm. the Palestinians as they are, um, you know, in, when it comes to 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 uh, the countries like Ukraine, for example? We've, we've spoken about this as well. Um, this The response was very quick. This response was like within days you had aid packages and help and people and volunteers going to those areas. Journalists allowed mm. and making their way into that conflict zone, but new policies being approved for refugees yes, to come course, here yes, and, yes. and and you know stay in the free UK. parking, free education, free housing, you name it. Which is again that that's what humanity is all about. Mm. We we're supposed to help each other, sure. but we're supposed to help each other regardless of where they come from, what they look like, what their religion is, what their ethnicity is, what their race is, and where they live. So this is what the ambassador had to say about that. You mentioned there's a lot of hypocrisy at play, there's a genocide going on, and Western leaders seem completely oblivious or not interested, whereas they were really quick to um, condemn Russia, to help Ukraine. They're still giving arms to Ukraine, but, and you know, and instead of actually helping Palestinian people, they're cutting funding to UNRWA. Why do you think that is? You must have spoken to a lot of politicians in the West. Why are they so, um, why are they not as keen to help Palestine as they were um, Ukraine, for example? 
You know, the events in the last five months or so have really unmasked many things. It has unmasked Israel in a way, in my opinion, that has led to the unprecedented change in the public opinion, perception, and the, the waves you've seen of people taking off from the streets because of the process of unmasking. But also, equally so, some key Western countries have been unmasked as well. It's clear that rules are not applied the same. There are no equality in the application of rules, and you've invoked Ukraine here, which is an example of how Western countries were quick in describing the situation in an accurate manner, that this is an invasion and occupation, that the people of Ukraine have the right to resist, and not only have the right, the right to resist, but the US, the UK, and the rest of Europe were quick to provide material support unprecedented for Ukrainian resistance. And the West was very quick to push for Russia to be sent to the ICC and the ICJ. But the opposite, exactly the opposite, has been done when it comes to Israel. We are prevented from accessing international judicial system, uh, concerted efforts at almost flipping the situation upside down while the West is sending weapons to the side that is committing genocide, not only occupation. So, yes, and I'll tell you, in, in our opinion, this has become the most existential threat to our international order at this point in time. Because people in the South, people in the East, and millions of people in the West have seen that this system does not work for all. It's not working for all. That there are few countries really consider this system to be selective and it only applied on your foes, but not on your friends and allies. I very much hope we will repair our international order. Very much hope, because we don't have a better model so far. And we must repair it. But countries like the US and the UK have done a lot in my way of damaging the credibility of our international system. And the next question that he was asked, the ambassador, will Hamas have any role in at least discussion uh, in around who should be in the government? And when speaking to British and American diplomats, what response does he get when mentioning recognizing the Palestinian state because you remember um, uh, there have there has been discussion when we come when we look at certain um, uh, statements made by the Israeli ambassador here in the UK or even by the by the Prime Minister Netanyahu um, about the the two-state solution and how that would look like now after all the 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 bombing and all of the all the destruction that has happened so let's see what he had to say about that well clearly that system is not working right now i do apologize for that but let me um, play another question that was asked um how can it ever you know, for example, the U.S., which is complicit in everything that has happened in that, how can you trust that process that the U.S. 
will play its part. Let me see if that actually works for now. Um, you talked about uh, Palestinian statehood, uh, the end of occupation as the final goal. Uh, but there are talks that your prime minister resigned because, uh, you know, President Mohammed Abbas um, was negotiating with Israel and with the U.S. Um, post ceasefire to govern Gaza. How can it ever negotiate, for example, with the U.S which is complicit in everything that has happened in genocide. How can you trust that process to achieve end of occupation statehood? Our Prime Minister and the current government resigned to make sure that uh, the situation is irreversibly changing. To make sure that we have uh, a, a, a government that is uh, in charge of providing and protecting for our people everywhere they are, including in Gaza, and that a government is enabled, given what Israel has done to the current government in terms of cutting its own funding, money, our own money, in terms of suffocating its ability to do anything, uh, no control of our resources, no control of our borders and what have you. So the resignation of the government is in the context of the political the formation of a new government is our, is our first step, starting point for the irreversible, credible steps we're talking about. And we have responsibilities as Palestinians, one of which is to provide a government that can provide for its people, a government that can unite its people, unite our political system and a government that can undertake the two most important tasks, one that is immediate, which is the humanitarian need of our people, comes first. And number two is the right of our people to cast their votes in the democratic elections and choose their leaders. All right, so that was, uh, again, the Palestinian ambassador, Dr. Hassam Zamlat, speaking about the role of the U.S. in, in all of this and uh, the negotiations um, in, in, in this peace process. Uh, so as I said, many, many other things had been discussed there. But uh, and also, uh, look, this is not, unfortunately, this is not the only conflict that is plaguing the world that we live in at the moment. There are so many other boiling points that we have reached in different parts of of the world you speak about the the uh, congo for example you speak about china taiwan relations yeah. uh, iran lebanon S syria still i mean ongoing mm -hmm. yemen you talk about you know famine how can you leave out yemen so there are so many other conflicts that we simply have huge amount of tension between India amount. and Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, India and Pakistan, of so, course, yeah. You know, so, that, so that's there. Yeah, Southeast Asia. There's there's all sorts of border disputes between so many countries between um, uh, China and uh, and as far south as uh, even Malaysia. So yeah, I, I think there are these uh, many flashpoints. And His Holiness Hazrat Mr. Masood Ahmed the fifth successor of the promised messiah has been warning the world over the last couple of decades actually more than that that um, uh, uh, unless we strove for peace unless we brought uh, justice and fair play in world politics in geopolitics and looked away from naked self-interest the world 
is increasingly heading towards a catastrophe. And unfortunately, that is what we are seeing, witnessing um, year on year. So what is the solution? I mean, all of this, you can have tailor-made solutions to the problems that the world is facing, but there, there are also certain ways to deal with this in an overarching way. And this is something that His Holiness has been highlighting, as, as we said, over the past 20 plus years. And that is about true justice. This is not something that he came up with. This is not something that we have come up with. This is something that the Holy Quran, 14 centuries ago, in the middle of the desert, revealed to the Holy Prophet of Islam, may the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon him by none other than our Creator, than our Lord, who made us and who knows how we can get back onto the right track. His Holiness said, again, this is from the, his uh, speech and his address at Westminster in 2013. True justice requires that the vested interests of individuals or groups should not be attributed to the teachings of a religion. Such acts should not be used as an excuse to unfairly level criticism at any religion or its founder. It is an urgent need of the time that in an effort to establish global peace and harmony, all people, all people should display mutual respect for one another and for all religions. The alternatives are horrific. And if a world war breaks out, then the Western world will also be deeply affected by its far-reaching and devastating consequences. Let us save ourselves from such destruction. Let us save our future generations from the miserable and devastating consequences of war. Obviously, the most horrific type of, of war would be an atomic war, and certainly the way the world is heading, there's a real risk of a nuclear war breaking out. To prevent such a horrific outcome, we should adopt justice, integrity, honesty, and join together to suppress and stop those groups who wish to spread hatred and who wish to destroy the peace of the world. It is my hope and prayer that God Almighty enables the major powers to discharge their responsibilities and duties in this effort in the most fair and just way. Amen. Amen to that. Yes, it's uh, it's unfortunately been a rather grim discussion um, today, but um, can I just end this discussion by saying that uh, uh, that uh, isn't it amazing that we've been able to have uh, had such a or have such a such a decent discussion, such a um, such an interactive discussion, mm. and I think that's primarily because our brother Kayum uh, Rashid is not here, and I'm sure he's listening to this. He's uh, here in spirit. Uh, he's, he's, <laughs> exactly that. So uh, I I prefer him to be in uh, to be here in spirit than than in person, because you know that allows us to have a much more uh, proper conversation. If I can shout say. out to Kayum Dzakala for 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 that shout out, brother Dania. Look, it's not just me who misses you. It's brother Dania. Last week he brought your name up uh, this week again was him so I believe he misses you more than I do right so there we have it but don't worry fear not he will be back in, in a couple of hours he's just uh, catching up on his vitamin D in the lovely country of Ghana at the moment so shout out to you brother Kiyom salam alaikum peace be upon you now this was it from this part of the show as I said we'll be back uh, in just a little bit um Speaking about the weaponization of the term anti-Semitism, don't go anywhere. Stay with us. You're listening to The Draft Time Show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. And welcome back to The Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam. Today with myself, Raza and Brother Daniel. Over the next hour, we are going to speak about our next topic. And that is 
uh, weaponization, instrument, instrumental, instrumentalizing religion or faith. In this um, specific incidence, we want to spot, speak about the weaponization of anti-Semitism. You've just heard it in the news as well. And this is something also that dominated the news in the last entire week when it comes to our MPs and the discussions that the Houses of Parliament were deliberating upon that the rise in anti-Semitism is alarming. Since October the 7th, the issue of anti-Semitism has come up again. Um, has there been an increase in anti-Semitism? Is the accusation of anti-Semitism often misused when it comes to criticizing um, the government of, of, of Israel? So that is something that we want to take a closer look at how anti-Semitism is often weaponized uh, to stifle an open discussion about Israel. And I want to throw in here Islamophobia and Islam is Islamization. I don't know, what are some of the terms that they throw around? Islamist is, is, is there. Islamism and all those funny words. Jihadist. Jihadism and, yeah. and whatnot um, in here as well. Because again, one thing that I want to make very, very clear here for on, on behalf of the Voice of Islam and all the discussion that we're going to have and we've had in the past as well, in the past hour, or in general that we have here on the Voice of Islam, it's not, never about religion. Mm. It's never about the faith of the other person. Islam is very clear on this. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him through his life, through his actions, through his words, through his deeds, and you name it, this, this entire history, his entire life of 63 years and uh, plus minus is filled with the proof that it has never been about the faith. It has never been about the background of the other person. Whatever he did, whatever he said was based on justice, was based on if it was right, if it was good. Uh, and that is pretty much it. So we want to make this very, very categorically clear that we do not um, condone, we do not stand for any kind of hatred, any kind of racism, you name it. And this is across the board. It doesn't relate to a certain religion. We will not only speak up when it comes to anti-Muslim rhetoric. We will not only speak up when it comes to uh, you know, anti-Semitism. We will not only speak up when it comes to uh, racism based on a certain nation or a certain ethnicity. No, this is across the board because as Muslim, this is my job. This is my role. This is my responsibility. This is something that God Almighty will question me about on the Day of Judgment that if you were in a situation, you were in a situation where you could have done something did you help the people around you? Yes or no? Or did you look at their faith and decided not to? Did you look at their, you know, color, uh, their 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 skin color and decided not to? Um, so for me, as as the Holy Prophet of Islam said, in his last in the farewell sermon, a black has no superiority over a white. A white has no superiority over a black. An Arab has no superiority over a non-Arab. Nor does a non-Arab have any superiority over an Arab. The only thing that makes us distinct, the only thing that makes us look better in the sight of God is our righteousness, is our taqwa, is our relationship with God Almighty. So that is something that I want to get out of my way before we get into 
the discussion. Our first guest who's with us on the line, we will speak to him about this topic and ask him a few questions, is Rabbi David Mivasser. He's a Canadian rabbi and a peace activist who lived in um, in in the middle, in, in Israel Palestine for four years, and we're very delighted to have him on. Rabbi, good afternoon. Peace upon you. Welcome to the Draft Time Show. Thank you, thank you. Salam alaikum and uh, Juma Mubarak. Oh, wa alaikum salam. Shalom to you and Jazakallah uh, for that. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Let me get right into this. I was asked this question a couple of days ago. There was a study happening here in the UK, which I participated in, and the role of British Muslims and the role of Islam in in, in, in the British society. And the last question that that person asked me was, have you ever experienced any hatred, any Islamophobia, any... Um, any kind of racism based on your faith, based on your looks? Fortunately, fortunately, mm. I have to say, for me, in this, in my case, in my life, I have not. But we know that so many people around the world unfortunately don't fall into the same category as I do so in your case Rabbi have you experienced anti-Semitism what is it um, if you can share an incidence with us maybe interesting so I appreciate what you just said about yourself and I would say the same thing about myself Wow. so just to put some context on it I'm 72 years old and in the course of my life, of course, I've experienced people being ignorant about Judaism sure. or being ignorant about Jews, saying things that are like just based on, you know, they don't know. Like, mm. I can't blame them for not knowing. Not everybody can know everything. But I, in my own personal life, have never actually experienced what I would consider to be anti-Semitism. So I, also, I, like you said, I know other people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, I'm not denying that it exists. Of course it exists, but and in some places it's horrible. Some people have horrible experiences. But you asked about me. My answer is no. Sure. Uh, Rabbi David, how would you define anti-Semitism? I would define anti-Semitism as a hatred or negative feelings against Jews as Jews, just because they're Jews. Hmm. Some, some people have negative feelings about Jews. So that's anti-Semitism. Right. And what, what, what you didn't ask me yet is, <laughs> uh, is opposition to the state of Israel anti-Semitic? No, it's yeah. not. Is calling you know, Israel a, a racist society anti-Semitic? No, it's not. Is being opposed to Zionism anti-Semitic? No. A lot of Jews are opposed to anti-Zionism. I mean, opposed to Zionism. That's not anti-Semitic. So anti-Semitic is thinking things about Jews as a group mm. that is just negative and wouldn't apply to all of us. Some some of us are kind of negative people, but most of us are not. You know. Would you say that um, there is apartheid in Israel? Yeah. Of course there is. Israel is formally, legally defined as, according to its government, the nation state of the Jewish people. 
So that means that people that are not Jewish are discriminated against. I mean, we know that, right? And particularly Palestinians. I mean, the Jewish state of Israel was was built on um, literally the rubble of hundreds of destroyed Palestinian homes. And those people have never been allowed back to their own homes. And the remnant of people who stayed there, about 20% of the residents of or I should say the citizens, 20% of the citizens of Israel are Palestinian, and they're discriminated against in housing and employment, and many aspects of Israeli society are completely, you know, to support Jews and their conception of Jewish life. And then we also have to acknowledge that Israel has ruled over uh, the West Bank Mm. with military rule for 57 years, and um, people there really don't have any kind of uh, civil rights, mm. democracy, there's no equality, they don't vote, and there's about as many Palestinians as there are Jews in a state run by Jews. Mm. Sure. I, could, I mean, I could talk about this for hours. You asked yeah. me, what do I think? Yeah. yeah, sure. So I think the case for um, apartheid uh, about those uh, Palestinians who live in the West Bank and Gaza, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, you've also mentioned that Arabs who actually live inside Israel, they're discriminated against in, in housing and in, in employment. Is that formal or is that sort of more societal? It's formal in different ways. So one thing that has developed, of course, um, housing is built for Jews, and if you're not Jewish, you can't live there. And it's even built with government money. And towns and neighborhoods and villages have like panels that can decide whether a new person who wants to move there is socially appropriate, right? They don't say that they're discriminating against Palestinians. Mm -hmm. But if the people in that town have a committee that decides whether new people moving in are socially appropriate, Seems that they don't want Palestinians living there, then that's the end of that conversation. They can't live there. And in employment, a lot of employment, you get a lot of advantages for employment if you're a veteran of the Israeli military. And of course, Palestinians don't serve in the military, except for Druze, who've been kind of separated away from the rest of the Palestinians by the Israeli state. But no, it's, it is both what you called social, just people's attitudes, and it's also formally established institutionally and legally. Rabbi, I'll, just, I'll just say a little more. So I, yeah. I just actually want to add something to that. Sure. So something like 95% of the land within the, I'm just going to say the state of Israel, meaning the pre-1967 boundaries, mm-hmm. which of course for the last 57 years Israel's ruled all of it from the from the river to the sea, you know, has been completely ruled by, by Israel. But within the 67 boundaries, something like 95% of the land is controlled by something called the Israel Land Authority. And that is controlled by the Jewish National Fund, which was established in the late 1890s to buy land for Jews. Jews contributed to it. Mm-hmm. And then they bought land for Jews, which is a fine and legitimate thing to do. But it's ended up controlling 95% of the land in the whole country. So it's, it's very difficult 
for Palestinians living in the state of Israel to to buy land or to expand the land that they have or to build housing even on land that they own. It's it's like thoroughly baked into the society to discriminate. Mm-hmm. So. Rabbi, because of uh, uh, your views, which I would describe uh, personally as very balanced and 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 and, and just. Have you ever been declared um, within Israel uh, or by other Jews as a self-hating Jew? Oh yes! <laughs> just, <laughs> just go on my just go on my Twitter account and look at the comments <laughs> constantly every day. Actually, what's happened lately, in the last few years, is not only being other people saying I'm a self-hating Jew, but they say I'm not Jewish. I'm not really Jewish. If I was really Jewish, I couldn't possibly think these things. Right? If I was really Jewish, I wouldn't say this. So I must actually be either a Christian or a Muslim. Hmm. Would you say that? Um, that... I, just, I, just, I think that's a very, de- I think that's a very defensive reaction to people that don't want to engage hmm. with the issues. Sure. You know, so rather than actually talk about any substance or facts, they just flip into something yeah. that a lot of children do in a schoolyard sure. and call somebody else a bad name, hmm. and then they don't have to listen or pay attention. Yeah, it's just... and it's also a way to. It's also a very common thing to try to marginalize. Hmm. And, ex- and delegitimize and exclude from the entire discourse people who disagree with, like, the Zionist orthodoxy. So instead of actually engaging with the issues and discussing it, the attempt is to shut people down and shut them out. So that's that. I do experience that. And I would just say it doesn't bother me personally. I don't, like, you know, cry about it at night. To me, it's a, it's, it's a political struggle. So we have to push back or ignore them. You know, we just have to do the work that we have to do. Mm. Doesn't it? It bothers me that people do that only because it's um, it can be politically effective to shut us out and to discredit us. They do that, and my reaction is to try to fight back as best as I can and encourage other people to keep fighting back. Would you say, Rabbi, that people like yourself within the Jewish community are a tiny minority? No, we're not. No, no, we're not a tiny minority by any means. No, you can look at uh, at surveys done by polling firms. You know, completely neutral polling firms. I can I can quote some things to you. So, so you mentioned I'm in Canada. I'm part of an organization called Independent Jewish Voices, which has a kind of a parallel or sister organization in the UK called Naamod. I encourage people you know, in your listening audience, to look for Naamod. You can, it's N-A-A-M-O-D. And, you know, find them, connect with them. They're trying to do the same things we're doing here. But Independent Jewish Voices in Canada commissioned a poll that um, said that this is in 2019, almost f- five years ago. And remember that Israel did relentless bombing of Gaza hmm. in May... 2021 and killed over 2,000 people. We saw yes. videos of entire apartment towers being leveled to the ground. There was an office building with media offices in it that was totally destroyed. Again, they killed 2,000 people. So before all that happened, before the Great March, where Israel, like, Israeli snipers shot dead 200 uh, 
defenseless people in one day. This, this poll that I'm going to tell you was before that. So in 2019, our poll showed that 37% of Canadian Jews view the Israeli government negatively. More than 30% oppose the siege on mm. Gaza, which had already gone on for more than 10 years by then. More than 30% said that BDS is reasonable. And 22% said that Canada should sanction Israel. And, this, again, more than five years ago, 48% of Canadian Jews in the poll said that accusations of anti-Semitism are used to silence people like us. Hmm. So you ask, are we a tiny minority? No. You know, I think, I think we could be approaching a majority. But yeah. the dynamic within the institutions of the Jewish community um, are such, like I just said, they exclude us. They pretend we're not Jewish. They pretend we don't exist. You know, so it enables them to argue that they are the Jewish community and we are like a tiny minority or a fringe group. And all these numbers I just gave you, they're even stronger in the States. And if people want to look into it, there was a poll in 2021 by a very straight organization called the Jewish Electorate Institute, which exists to try to predict Jewish voting patterns in the States. And in 2021, again, before these horrible images that we're seeing now, mm-hmm. and even before what, was, what Israel did in May 2021, of Jews under the age 40, 20% said that Israel doesn't have a right to exist. Mm-hmm. How about that? And 23% of Jews under age 40, again, four years ago, said that Israel was a apartheid society. That's Jews saying that. 33% of Jews under 40 said Israel's an apartheid society four years ago. So no, we're, we're not a tiny minority. So these are very um, significant numbers that you quoted, you know, 33%, 40%, 48%. Yes, why, yes, yes. why does nobody know about you? Oh, I wouldn't say nobody knows about <laughs> okay, us. Okay, very few very people, well let known. me rephrase that, know about you. Um no, I think we're kind of in the media quite a lot. You are? I'm, okay. I'm not, I don't live in the same country you do, so I don't know what you see. Okay. But no, there's constant fighting as well. A little bit I know about the Labour Party in the UK, right? The Labour Party, you know, what happened to Jeremy Corbyn, right? So that is because of people like us fighting and pushing. And many of the people in the Labour Party who supported Corbyn are Jews, hmm. right? Imagine people know that. So there is, there is a huge, there's a media war that's yeah. going on, and it's been going on for a long time. And the Zionist Orthodox organizations have been able to control what's in the media for a long time. But that's crumbling. I mean, we're pushing back. The world is changing. And those, those uh, the, uh, basically lies don't work anymore. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't think we're not known. I think we're pretty well known. Well, um, Rabbi, one thing that I want to ask you as well, and again, this coming from me or answering me, explaining me is a different case. But when I ask you, as a person of authority, as a person of faith, um, this this phrase 
from the river to the sea has been mentioned a billion times just in this past week. And you have protesters, you have Muslims, you have politicians who are being questioned, who are being pressed to admit that it is anti-Semitic, to say that people who say this should be uh, pers- uh, should be prosecuted. How do you see that? Well, it's not at all anti-Semitic to say that from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, right? Every country should be free. Every people should be free. The only reason Palestinians are not free is because Jews came and took their land away from them and pushed them out. And I shouldn't even say that in past tense because it's happening in real time right now. Hmm. Um, so I, I can go into that a little bit more. I think the claim that it's anti-Semitic is a complete distraction, but one of the clever arguments made to support that claim is that saying that from the river to the sea Palestine will be free, um, denies the Jewish people the right to national self-determination, right? As, as if every people has a right to national self-determination. Mm-hmm. And they'll even say this. They'll say, you know, denying the Jewish people's right to national self-determination is anti-Semitic because everybody else gets that. So I just I want to comment on that. I want to like kind of destroy that argument. So first of all, the idea that there is a right to national self-determination is a very late 19th century European idea. There are many, many national groups all over the world, meaning people that have a common language that distinguishes them. They pretty much live on a certain land or a certain territory that distinguishes them. They have a culture that's a little different from everybody else, right? Many, 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 many groups like that have never had what we call national self-determination. In other words, their own nation state. I mean, all over India, right, there's hundreds of languages and distinct peoples that see themselves as different from each other, right? You don't hear that argument about national self-determination there. The same thing in Africa. I would imagine that pretty much every country in Africa has people in it who speak different languages, identify with a different part of that country. Some of them live across the border in another country, right? Mm. Same thing in the Americas. Even where I live in Canada, there are the indigenous people here, of course, have their own territory, their own languages. You get where I'm going with this. No one makes the claim for them that they're being denied national self-liberation, I mean self-determination, hmm. right? Even like inside, it used to be the Soviet Union, but now Russia, like how many different language groups and cultural groups live in Russia? Yeah. Many, 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 right? They're not Russians. So that, that argument that saying from the river to the sea is anti-Semitic because it denies the Jewish people's right to national self-determination is just a completely artificial manipulation and distraction. There is no such thing as a Jewish right to national self-determination. Jews lived all over the world in many different nations 
We had our own culture. We have our own language. We have several different languages that are Jewish languages. We have our own legal system. We have our own calendar, our own sense of time. We have a very strong sense of our shared history among us, right? Hmm. With the idea that we need a nation state, like, let me just say, like the French have France and the Greeks have Greece. Even that's a modern development that there even is such a thing as France, right? That was forced upon other people who live in that territory, right? So there, I just want to demolish that argument that for all of Palestine to be one democratic state where everyone living there has equality and freedom, that that's anti-Semitic is it's just, it boggles the mind to even think that. It's not anti-Semitic. So with all... Actually, to, to, think, to think that Jews have to have their own state yeah. and can't live with other people, hmm, that sounds pretty anti-Semitic to me. Interesting. Now, Rabbi, one last question from my side, if you allow. Um, I want to take you back to, again, so this is from, from my personal experience, and then I want to ask you about your your views about your, your personal experiences. Um, as a Muslim in the past, let's say, two decades, so 20 years, or let's go back 25 years, starting from 9-11, I'm, I've mentioned this here on The Voice of Islam mm. or, or on the Draft Time show maybe a few times, 9-11 was for me a very crucial time in my life. It was one of the reasons why I decided to to kind of become an imam because I was forced to, wow. to, to, to deal with my own religion, to deal with my faith, and to answer questions and allegations that were raised by my teachers, by my peers in, in high school at that time. And I realized how little I knew about my faith. And the more I delved into my faith, the more I realized how how wrong everybody is and that caused two reactions one was of sadness and one was of, of anger sad that people don't understand this this faith that i lived my life that i that i belonged to since birth and angry because mm-hmm. it's it's just not true it's it's false it's a lie that is being represented so this hijacking mm-hmm. of my faith in your situation how does that make you feel how does that how do you how do you deal with that when people mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know the Jewish state that calls itself the Jewish <sighs> state and stands for Jewish values and and traditions and then on the other side you see the these these atrocities being committed in the name of your faith in the name of your that you know that state that Jewish state yeah 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 well, what you're saying really resonates with me I have feelings I think are kind of parallel to what you talked about. I was attracted to become a rabbi because of like, I think the beauty and the truth in Judaism, and I I don't mean aesthetic beauty, I mean like kind of conceptual Hmm. beauty and just wonderful teachings about how humans should live in the world, about justice and about kindness and mercy and so much about equality among people. So much of that I thought was so important. And I became a rabbi to kind of promulgate that and to encourage more Jews to embrace it and live it out in the world, you know. And then to see Israel claiming that it's a Jewish state and doing the atrocities that it does, it's, it's the opposite of what it should be. And I, 
I really feel that it has, to a large extent, um, actually destroyed Judaism. It's very hard to think of Judaism without thinking of what Israel's doing, right? Mm. To think of Judaism in the sense of, um, say, the Sabbath or Jewish holidays or learning from the Torah and not think about Israel stealing people's land, demolishing their homes, now killing so many people so brutally. It's hard to separate those two things in our minds, right? Mm. And it's, it makes it very, very difficult to embrace and participate in Judaism. Rabbi, um, um, we have to, and you know, we have to like uh, somehow push back and fight back. And those of us who understand it do do embrace it. But it's a it's an enormous struggle, and it will go on. You know, it's not it's not over in any way. Hmm. But I think I think Jewish people's own understanding of Judaism has been very, very um, affected by Israel. Yeah. Rabbi, unfortunately, we have to end it here. But thank you so much for yeah, for joining us today. You. It was a great, great uh, conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, we wish you all the best um, in in your work. Thank you. You certainly have thank my support. You. Absolutely. A real pleasure and an honor, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really feel like we're in this together and yes. we just I really appreciate being able to talk with you and with your listeners. Thank you so Thank much. You. Peace upon you. Assalamu yeah. alaikum and shalom to you, Rabbi. You too. You too. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call if you want to have your say. Don't forget, we're also asking you a question on our opinion poll on Instagram. Which of these conflicts that we have around the world brewing and developing at the moment worries you the most? Is it the Israel-Palestine conflict, the Ukraine-Russia, China-Taiwan, or US and Iran? Go to Voice of Time UK on Instagram and leave us a comment. This is how it can be done. It, it, lovely speaking. I mean, what a breath of uh, fresh air! Absolutely, and uh, I think I'll uh, I will have to take uh, responsibility for my ignorance to <laughs> to not know that uh, you know people like him uh, are not in a minority actually. And um, yes, we do see uh, a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, on the media these days, especially you know younger Jews are now coming out more and more uh, openly against what the Israeli government is doing. But uh, you know some of the numbers that he he mentioned absolutely astonishing and um, and um, very revealing I must say. Now, as I said before, unfortunately, the way it has developed, it's about uh, us v them. It's about Muslims against uh, Jews. It's about Muslims against the West or all the non-Muslim entities and countries and governments and people involved in this. But let me take you back a little bit in history. If we go through the history of Islam, we see, and again, if you have been uh, dealing with this issue, you have been researching into this, if you have been learning about it, there's no way that you would not have come across this. That Jews and Muslims lived together in coexistence peacefully for more than a thousand years. At the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when he was in Medina and chosen as the head of state by Jews and Muslims, by people of Medina, again, also from even Christians, he made a treaty known as the Charter of Medina. 
Now, this charter was based on equality. It said guidelines by which pagans, Jews, Muslims, Christians, in their diversity, would live together in peace and harmony, support each other, support the city of Medina that they all shared. They all lived in that place. So to defend it, to uphold the values of that city, to uh, aid and assist it, that was their collective responsibility. And there's also a famous incident of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, when there was a funeral procession that passed by and he stood up out of respect. Mm -hmm. And the companions at that time who were sitting around him, they said, O oh, Prophet of Allah, this this procession was, was of a Jewish person. It was a Jew. And I mean, there's, there's different narrations as well, but in one of them it says he, he was a Jew. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, replied as... This is the most natural reply that you can give, probably. He asked him the question, was was he not a human being or did he not have a soul? I mean, just because he has a certain faith, again, that's that's a matter between him and God or her and God. Mm. But on the surface of it, it doesn't stand or say on my, on my forehead. As long as he's human, you, you, know, you need to respect that. I don't that. walk around uh, with, with Muslim having having written on my, on my forehead. Mm just as a Jew or a Christian or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Sikh doesn't walk around with, with something saying on their forehead, I'm a Sikh, I'm a Jew, I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter, regardless. We're born into this. Again, one of the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as, as a human, and we're born into this. And the environment, the society, the parents, they decide and they shape, they make you into a follower of a certain religion. And there's also an incident during the time of the second caliph, uh, Caliph Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, when he conquered Jerusalem. And uh, you probably heard from, I think it's, uh, it's uh, Dr. Roy, uh, Professor Dr. Roy Casagranda, who, who, who delivered this lecture. And it's very famous, it's gone around social media quite a lot. Um, when 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 the Muslims conquered Jerusalem, uh, Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, he came to Jerusalem and the, the, the caretakers of Jerusalem, they basically handed over the keys to him. So when they went and they expected basically um, that everybody will be killed, everybody will be driven out, mm. uh, and the Muslims will take over Jerusalem. So they asked, what, what's your plan? And uh, when, <laughs> when Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, replied that, well, you can stay where you are, but it's just a certain group of people the that I The plan is to stay together. The plan is to stay together, <laughs> exactly. It's to stick together, yeah. to live together in, in peace and harmony. They were, first of all, like Sophronius, I think that was the name of, of, of the Christian um, uh, leader at that time. And he was shocked. I was like, okay, hold on. You don't want us to leave? You don't, you, you don't want to plunder and loot and take everything? Because clearly that's what's been happening in the past. But he said, no, I, I don't want you to, I don't want to take anything. You just stay there. You live there. All I want you to do is that the politicians or a certain group of people, they need to leave. Mm. And I said, that's it? I said, yeah, that's it. All right. We can deal with that. And then so they walked in and they went through the city. And there was a huge garbage dump on, on, on the rock on, on the mount uh, you know, in, in Jerusalem, which is quite well known and famous for that. And... The caliph himself, Caliph Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, he began cleaning the garbage because the rock was the, was the direction of prayer for the Jews living there. 
And when the companions of uh, the second caliph saw that, they started cleaning that as well. And then he asked him, where, where are all the Jews? And Sophroni said, well, we killed them all. <laughs> yeah. Or we drove them out. There are no Jews here. And he was he was surprised. He was shocked. He was like, well, why did you do that? He's like, yeah, well, we didn't really like them. And so we just <laughs> made sure they all leave. And he made sure, Caliph Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, he yeah. made sure that the Jewish population was resettled in Jerusalem. And then you have people in today's society without any knowledge, without any understanding, just blabbering out useless nonsense based on their own hatred and their own prejudice and their own bigotry Mm. that, oh, Muslims hate Jews. Well, there is very recent history as well. So when uh, Muslims were ruling Spain about 400 uh, or so years or until about 400 or so years ago. And um, um, Jews were actually being um, persecuted throughout Europe at that time they escaped those pogroms and actually migrated to Spain hmm. to live under the Muslim rule because that's where they could find peace. Yeah. And it wasn't just that they were living there. Yeah. They were in positions of, of influence. Yeah. They were 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 you know politicians or leaders in in, in the government of, of the Muslims based on yeah. their abilities. And isn't that what Islam says? That when when God Almighty says in the Holy Quran that hand over the trust to those who are capable of it, to those who are able to carry out that duty. And it also states in the Holy Quran, chapter two, verse sixty-three. Again, very well-known chapter, very well-known verse. Surely the believers and the Jews and the Christians and the Sabians, whichever party from among these truly believes in Allah and the last day and does good deeds shall have their reward with their Lord and no fear shall come upon them, nor shall they grieve. And also when it came to the Muslims being allowed to defend themselves, mm. right, after 13 years of persecution, when they migrated to Medina, then the Meccans didn't stop. And then when the verses of the Holy Quran were revealed where God Almighty gave permission to fight back, not to attack, but to fight back, that verse clearly talks about the role of Muslims in taking care of eliminating oppression, eliminating injustice, eliminating tyranny. And it says that if that permission was not given to the Muslims or to you, that's the words used, then you would have seen that cloisters being destroyed, synagogues being destroyed, churches being destroyed. And at the end it says mosques being destroyed. So your responsibility is not just to uphold your own faith, your own religion, your own people and protect them, but it's for everyone. And that's the universality of of Islam. The, the, this one thing that I firmly believe makes it stick out from any other religion and any other faith. Absolutely. Right? That that you you don't limit your sympathy, your compassion to, to your own people. And I believe like in one way, form or shape, every faith does that. But in this clear um, way, I have yet to come across. Absolutely, in, in clear and clearly defined uh, manner as well. Let's uh, maybe now go and uh, 
play um, an interview that we did earlier with Diana Nelson, who is a member of the Jewish Voice for Labour. She rejoined the Labour Party in 2015 yeah. after the election of Jeremy Corbyn and was accused of anti-Semitism by the Labour Party over tweets she had posted about Israel and Zionism. Let's listen in. <clears throat> so the first question, actually, first question that we asked her, um, Diana, when you look back at your own experience, but also the treatment of other Jewish members of the Labour Party and, the, uh, and of Jeremy Corbyn, where anti-Semitism was used as a political tool and to smear someone, how does that make you feel? And do you think that this weaponization of anti-Semitism is going to lead to actual anti-Semitism not being taken care uh, or not being taken seriously? And this is what Diana had to say. Well, that is absolutely true because people will... Everything is anti-Semitic. If you listen to Benjamin Netanyahu, he will say the UN is anti-Semitic. The International Court of Justice is anti-Semitic. Everything that Israel doesn't like is suddenly anti-Semitic. People... I am a regular... Although I'm disabled... I regularly attend, I regularly march for Gaza on a Saturday with either the Jewish bloc or my own people from Redbridge, which which is where I live. And um, when we, we, and these marches are peaceful and people are friendly and warm and welcoming, especially to the Jewish bloc. But I find that when I get home, that on the, on the Twitter feed, all sorts of people come along and say, this is hate marches, these people are anti-Semitic. No matter how many times you tell them, but there are Jews on the march, it doesn't make any difference, and they dismiss us as having no, as not being real Jews, or they insult us, and they say some terrible things about us. But I say that very often these are people who are strong Israel supporters or strong supporters of the Zionist ideology, and they reflect what Israel does in their abuse, in their harassment, and in their violent language. So I'm afraid at the moment there there is a likelihood that many people will get angry because Israel says it is doing this on behalf of all Jews. And people who are not educated will think that this is that all Jews are supporters of what Israel is doing, and that is very, very far from the case. Israel is a state. It operates an ideology, which I I don't approve of. In fact, I'm an anti-Zionist, and I believe you shouldn't confuse the Zionist ideology with Jewish people. Now, Dana, you grew up in apartheid-era South Africa. In what way have your own experiences shaped the way you feel about Palestinian liberation? Yes, no, it's very different. 
And if you if you know if you look today, some of the most uh, passionate advocates for Palestine are in fact Jewish people, because it's the same. I come from South Africa, and it was the same. Yeah, there's a long, long Jewish tradition of a radical Jewish tradition of support for the the oppressed. And this has been a tradition going back many generations. And um, the, we are the people who support, the, we always have been in South Africa, the people, you know, very often the people who stood with the ANC were Jewish people. And the same against Jim Crow in America, you had Jewish people. And today you find Jewish people very active in Palestine support. It's our, it's right, it's right, because we have to, we have to, in a sense, um, re, you know, redeem our name in a way, because there's, there are many people who, want, who say they're Jewish and support what Israel is doing, and that, to many of us, is anathema. One more question that we asked Diana was what her thoughts were on the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of antisemitism that includes restrictions on what one can say about Israel. Uh, uh, is it standing in the way of having an open discussion about Israel and Palestine? Well, there are two. There's the IHRA definition, which we see, which we recognize literally has been promoted by Israel interests to advance the Israel cause. And the IHRA definition is one that is, is orchestrated to protect not Jews so much, but Israel. And, um, and, to, and it's become increasingly a situation where it is going to become criminalized, to criminalize um, statements against Israel or challenges to Israel. And we've, that's what we said would happen. And we see it played out in universities, played out in politics. You, I mean, all sorts. It's, it's so confusing now that the IHRA definition, anything someone says against Israel is suddenly, and especially if it's, they're the wrong political view. You can see it recently in the Labour Party. They are uh, targeted uh, for their statements against Israel, and it's called anti-Semitism. Uh, there is another, there is another um, uh, definition. It's called the Jerusalem de definition, and that is a definition that is much more close to what anti-Semitism is, which is violence or attacks or discrimination against Jews as Jews, not against uh, Israel as a state or against uh, uh, the people who support the state, but it's against Jews as Jews. And that is a much better definition. But of course, because there's a lot of political mileage out against uh, behind the IHRA, that has pushed all before it. 
and so you find the IHRA being used in universities and other places um, and in politics and in schools and so on. You know, people are very confused. And so the IHRA is not, it is an attack on free speech and it is an attack on Palestinians. It's very much an anti-Palestinian definition. All right, that was uh, Diana Neslin. She's a member of Jewish Voice for Labor. She rejoined, as we said, the Labour Party in 2015 after the election of Jeremy Corbyn and was accused of anti-Semitism by the Labour Party then over tweets she had posted about Israel and Zionism. Interesting. Our next guest for today is Professor Haim Rashid Ajabne, and we are going to speak to Professor. He's a Jewish filmmaker, photographer, and film study scholar, and he's part of an organization called the Jewish Network for Palestine. Professor Haim, good afternoon. Peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Good afternoon. Thank you so much, first of all, for joining us today. Now, you've heard what Diana had to say, and uh, we spoke to Rabbi David before as well. Um, why is it so difficult for people to understand that um, criticizing Israel and the government of Israel, the policies of that state, not the faith, the state, and criticizing a religion based on the fact that somebody is an adherent of the Jewish faith, that these are two different things? I don't think that it's difficult for people to understand. I think it's difficult for politicals to accept, hmm. uh, polit- politicians to accept. Uh, basically, no state but Israel is in that situation. Um, we can criticize the United States. We can criticize Britain. We can criticize uh, the Marshall Islands, for that matter. Um, we can criticize every member state of the United Nations. But we're not allowed to criticize Israel. Why? Because Israel is a poster boy, uh, and Zionism is its machinery. Israel is a poster boy of uh, the West. And the West is now going out of, um, out of the way to actually support genocide in Gaza, which has never happened before. I mean, I don't remember ever the uh, whole West as a block supporting genocide. Mm. So this is a a terrifying development. Um, So I think people um, in Britain and indeed everywhere else in the world understand that uh, they should and need to uh, criticize Israel, not just for what it is doing now, but what it has done for 75 years. So there is a Nakba that continues from 1948 until today. And people understand it, and they go into the streets, and they demonstrate, and they are very angry about it. The politicians in this country, or in the United States, or in um, you know most European countries, are wedded to Zionism as a machinery of control of the Middle East. Now, this is not a policy that helps the citizens of those countries. This is not a policy that even helps Israelis. It definitely doesn't help the Palestinians who are butchered by a genocidal regime in Israel. But um, against its populations, our leaders have adopted the IHRA. Uh, They adopted um, Israel as a special case uh, like no other. And they are 
for example, uh, our country, um, they have placed um, half the Navy um, to protect Israel while it is committing um, uh, committing a, a war crime and, and genocide. So I don't think that normal people have a problem in understanding uh, what happens in Gaza. Uh, and also, let me tell you, both my parents are, were survivors of Auschwitz. They are not alive anymore, but they were survivors of Auschwitz. They didn't have to have the IHRA to tell them what anti-Semitism mm. is. No Jew needs to be told what anti-Semitism is. Anti-Semitism is when Jews can't go to a university because it doesn't accept them. Anti-Semitism is when in Germany in the 30s, Jews could not sit on park benches, could not be employed by the state, uh, could not be uh, doctors or teachers. Uh, that's anti-Semitism. When people attack you in the street and say, dirty Jew, that's yeah. anti-Semitic. What we are now seeing is nothing to do with anti-Semitism. People are angry because of war crimes against human beings like themselves. Israel has killed in um, these five months more children than were killed since the 1960s in all in the whole world mm. in in in, in um, war situations. How is this allowed to happen? And mm. how is it allowed that people who um, are running our country are supporting uh, something which is basically illegal and immoral and totally um, illogical? Mm. Uh, absolutely. Not really supporting, but supporting at the at the top of their voices. Professor, we're almost coming towards the, the end of the program, and I really want to ask this question. So it's... Uh, it's lovely to hear from people like you uh, who are Jewish and, and, and also very just. And, and there's more and more Jews are openly um, talking about uh, what's happening in Palestine and what's, uh, what is wrong with what's uh, going on in Gaza at the moment. There was, however, a recent survey, when I say recent, um, in, back in January in Israel, in which 80% of the people um, who responded said that the bombing in Gaza wasn't enough. Why do you think that there is such a huge disconnect between people like yourself and a large number of Jews outside Israel who um, who have the same views as yourself and the people living, the Jews living inside Israel? Jews living inside Israel are living in a settler colonial state like the whites in South Africa. Mm. They have actually uh, never been different um, the Nakba started in 1948, and it made the identity of Israeli Jews totally different from identity of Jews elsewhere. Um, their life is to actually subjugate, attack, kill, limit uh, the life of the Palestinians. Uh, their life is to steal the land by force and by legal means which are illegal. Um, their life is to not allow the Palestinians any rights. Therefore, when um, the Palestinians resist occupation, resist subjugation, they are enraged beyond belief. How could those Palestinians um, dare to uh, resist us? Well, they resist uh, you because you are colonialists. Mm -hmm. They resist you because you're brutal. But they don't understand that more than the whites in South Africa or um, the 
Europeans that killed the North American indigenous population understood why they are so uh, resisted by um, the indigenous population. Um, they, you know, the, the whites in South Africa didn't see that anyone has anything to say about apartheid. And they didn't understand it. Um, the whole world needed mm. to put pressure on them. The whole world is not mm. putting pressure on Israel. It should, but it's not doing that. Uh, and so they don't know that they're wrong. Uh, they're also not allowed to look at what they're doing in Gaza. The mm. media doesn't show them the war crimes that their soldiers are doing. Now, a young man in the United States burned himself yeah. a few days ago because he couldn't accept that America is part of the crime. Yes. No is Israeli stood up. I don't ask them to burn themselves. I just want them to stand to up and up. say, yeah. I'm not part of it. Yeah. I yeah. don't agree with it. Professor Haim, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. But um, with your permission, I think we'll come back to this discussion. We would li- love to have you back on uh, in the near future, if that's OK with you. But again, somebody will be in touch with you. But at this moment, we would like to say thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great evening. Have a good weekend ahead. And uh, peace be upon you. Um, assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much. Once and on again. you. 0208687 There you have it. I don't think there's anything for us to say. The distinction is so clear. You have three people, three members of the Jewish community spelling it out in simple and crystal clear words. And then you have people at the top defining anti-Semitism on behalf of a whole population, of a whole um, religion, which has nothing to do with reality. That was it from all of us here at the Draft Time Show. Tomorrow morning, SML is going to be with you at 10 a.m. We'll be back on Monday, inshallah, from all of us here. Thank you so much for listening in. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. And until next week.